my wife Emily and I did not live to live in the same state together until the day we got back from our honeymoon. Uh, so we had just not spent a lot of time alone together. We lived six, six and a half hours apart, so we visited. It was visiting family. So we had just not spent a lot of alone time together. So getting married was a lot about learning who each other was. And uh, we went on our honeymoon to a, a resort in the Caribbean. It was awesome. It was awesome. Um, we got married in the spring, but it was hot down there. I mean, it was already like summertime down there. And I just remember I kept going over to the thermostat to bump it down because I was so hot to turn the air down. And then I'd go back like an hour or two later and it would be up a couple of degrees. I'm like, this thing programmed or something? Like, what's up with this? And then I realized that it was my sweet new wife who was bumping it up every time when I turned my back. And I had a revelation as a young husband. I loved this woman. She's sitting right over there. Adored her. Vowed my, my life to her. I wanted her to have my children. And I was going to be hot for the rest of my life. <laughs> Some of you know what I mean. You've been, you've been there. Uh, after 22 years, I, we're, we're getting closer. But I realized that I was going to have to uh, regulate and get a new core body temperature if we were going to be in in marriage, it was going to take some sacrifice. You've probably experienced that in relationships as well. You know, when we were married, uh, Emily's pastor asked us what Bible passage we wanted read at our wedding. And we picked the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Such a good one. And at that point, I was a young pastor. I had only performed one wedding but now I realize, after doing this for 20-plus years, how predictable that was. And because now I know that he is like me, that I have preached 11 billion 1 Corinthians 13 wedding homilies. Because it's the most popular one. And it's almost cliche, right? Perhaps your grandmother had it cross-stitched on a wall in the hallway or you can still buy it on a little sign at Hobby Lobby. We've seen those words so much in 1 Corinthians that even if you're kind of new to the Bible and, and can't quote many verses, th these words will sound familiar to you. But if we get past the kind of cliche and familiarity with it, it's a really beautiful passage. And it's not even a passage about marriage or relationships. It's about how to exhibit Christian love. So today we're going we're gonna to look at this passage, it, it, and it certainly relates to anyone in all kinds of relationships. So whether you're single, single again, whether you are married, you can relate this to any relationship. But the kind of love that it talks about ought to show up in the one that we love most at least the one we say we love most. That's how we want you to win at love. We want you to, uh, to learn how to love best like that. But before I go, let me, let me say a word here. We don't think that winning at love is just a, a three-week sermon series, and that does the trick, which certainly we believe God moves in worship. There are so many ways Mountaintop wants to partner with you, invest in you, 
We've got so many couple small groups that are happening out, uh, out in the atrium. If you are married, I just so encourage you to try to do one of those together. We have marriage mentors. You may not know about that. This is for engaged couples. This is for, this is for married couples who are wanting some coaching uh, in their life, to mentoring. And we can partner you up with a couple who will help, help you grow in your marriage. We want to partner with you in that. We want you to win at love. Because love is a complicated and tricky thing. In fact, we know that there is no word more loaded in our culture than love. Do you remember the first time you said those words to your boyfriend or girlfriend? Were you in middle school? Were you in fourth grade? Were you in high school? Were you in college? Maybe for some of you, you haven't even said it yet because you don't want to say it. Like people, they have different feelings about this. You don't want to say it until you know it's the one. Maybe that's you and maybe that's what you did. I remember uh, friends had an episode one time where Ross was trying to muster up the courage to say, I love you to the girl he was dating. And he finally did it. This is a great scene. And he says, I love you. And she looks at him and she says, thank you. <laughs> right? We know when you put it out there, when you say that word and when you do it for the first time, you're so scared. It is an emotional cliffhanger. Will they say it back? But worse than someone who doesn't say it back is the one who says they love you, who says the word, but doesn't show it. And I want to encourage you today, <clears throat> if you are single, college student, young adult, I want to encourage you to be very careful with this word throwing this word around until you are ready to live out the attributes that we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to be ready to love someone. And if you are married, you made a vow. You vowed your love before them, before friends and family. And, but you made a vow not to just say it, but to live it. And this is where we get so messed up. Couples have problems. And then they come and they see their pastor or they go see a counselor and they say, um, we still love each other, but something's off. Oh yeah, we still love each other, but we can't get on the same page. We still love each other, but we just don't see eye to eye anymore. We still love each other, but I'm just not happy anymore. We still love each other, but something is not working. And that's because we have decided love is this singular feeling, this emotion that kind of lives all by itself. But we're going to see that it is more than a phrase. We're going to see the Apostle Paul say that love is not just a couple of things. Love has multiple actions, multiple actions around it if we are going to win at love. And this love that Paul describes is the kind of love that can only be found in the character of God. So I'm going to give you the ending before we even really start the beginning. Okay, since God is love, here's what I want you to know. We need to know God to know how to love. We need to know God in order to know how to love. Now, 
I know some of you are new to faith here, and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and you've come with friends today. Perhaps you came to see a friend get baptized today. You're tuning in, and I want you to know I'm so grateful that you were here. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I'm so grateful that you've come to Mountaintop today. And what, what I want to tell you is I want this for you. One of the things we talk about here is that we are for you. We, we, want, we want what's best for your life, what's best for your marriage, what's best for your relationships. And I want to tell you that you will not be able to love your spouse or your future spouse in the best way until you have experienced face-to-face, firsthand, the love of Almighty God. When you experience God's love in the way that the Apostle Paul describes in this passage, it will transform the way that you are able to love your husband or to your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend. It will tra- and I want that for you because I want the best kind of love. And now listen, some of you, some of you, that, that you, you, you haven't experienced the love of God, right? One of the reasons is that that you have kept church, that you have kept faith, the reason you have kept Christianity kind of at arm's length is because you have experienced God, because others have taught you this, of judgment, right, of condemnation. And you're going to see the Apostle Paul talk about the character of God and this, what this word means, love, in such a beautiful way. So if you have heard a version of God's love that does not look like what the Apostle Paul talks about in this passage, it's possible you heard the wrong version. And you might have kept God and church and faith at arm's length because you heard of a wrong or incomplete version of who God is. God looks like this kind of love. The Bible says that God is love. It's who he is. And Paul's going to tell us what this love looks like. So <clears throat> Paul has written this letter to a church in a community called Corinth. And it was a kind of a wild place. It was the Vegas of its day, okay? The wild place. And this chapter kind of exemplifies a lot of the, the letters writing of Paul. Paul's letters mostly served two purposes. The first one was to bring clarity to what the gospel really was. What this message of Jesus was really about. If you read Paul's letters, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians you will see often this theme that Paul is trying to describe to them the the contrast between grace and law or grace and works. In, In other words, this idea that we receive a righteousness that comes from Christ alone, that Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. This was such a radical way for people to understand who God was. The gospel story of Jesus was so different than every other way anyone had ever thought about God or religion. So much of Paul's letters are theological, trying to bring clarity to the heart of the gospel message. Then the second purpose were a lot of Paul's letters. We're writing to Christians about, about this word, about love. Because he was trying to bring definition to a word that Jesus said, to a command. In fact, the only command Jesus gave. When he was with his disciples on the night before he died, he said, this command I leave with you. You know what he said? Anybody know what that command was? Hey, guys, I want you 
to love one another as I have loved you. In fact, he said, when you go out into the world, this is how everyone will know that you belong to me, by who you voted for. This is how everyone will know how you belong to me, by what denomination you belong to. Did he say that? He didn't say any of those. This is how everybody's going to know that you belong to me, by how you love one another. Another time, somebody asked Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He said, it was easy. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one's just like it, meaning it's just as great. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. But what in the world does love looks like? That's kind of a woo-woo word, Right? We're supposed to just love everybody, and this is especially important in romantic love because we know that love is more than a feeling. It is more than just a phrase. We know that actions can betray our words. Paul says that love has a look, and it looks a lot like Jesus. And he goes into granular detail about the specifics, okay? And we're going to go through all the specifics of this verse, several details about what love is and what love is not. And I want you to do something. I want you to ask yourself this question when we get to all of these different characteristics. And you don't even have to think about your significant other in these because I think this is more general. If you can't do this in general, you definitely won't be able to do it in romantic love. When we read all these attributes, I want you to ask yourself, am I blank, whatever the attribute is? Am I that or am I not? Am I blank? All right, so it's going to be found in 1 Corinthians 13. I've been talking about that love chapter. We're going to begin in verse 4, and this is the part of the chapter that's on the cross stitch, okay? This is the one that everybody remembers. This is the one on the sign at Hobby Lobby. This is the one that's almost become cliche, but it is deep and rich and beautiful. It is defining what God says love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Remember what I said we were going to do? Am I, am I patient? Love is patient. If I say I love you, but I'm not patient when you leave your socks on the floor again, or when you leave dishes in the dishwasher, or dirty dishes in the sink again, or you forget to run that errand, or you make the same mistake, if I say I love you, but I'm not patient with you, that's not really love. Because love looks like patience. You might use the word love, but the action that must undergird that emotional feeling is love. Love in action looks like patient, and if you're not patient, you're not loving. You know how I know that? Because love is what? Patient. So remember, we're going to ask ourselves this question. Am I? Am I patient? Just ask yourself that question. We're just going to do some deep work here today. It's not testimony time. 
it's also not nudge your spouse time. <laughs> it's pierce your own heart time. If you are single, are you patient with roommates, coworkers? Because if you are not patient with people that you are with some of the time, how will you be patient with someone you are with most of the time? Good roommates often make good spouses. And can I just tell you single people, if you are dating someone who is churning through roommates because they're just so impatient because they can't get along with anybody, I, I just want to tell you, I would run for the hills. Remember the first one, I, love is patient, love is kind. Am I kind? Am I more, if I say I love you, but I am more kind to the cashier at Walgreens than I am to my spouse, that's not really love. Am I kind when I come home? Am I kind when I don't get my way? Am I envious? If I say I love you, but I'm envious of your career and envious of your success, well, I might say I love you. That's not really love because love does not envy. If, if, I, if I say I love you, but I boast about all the things I always do for you and all the things I do for our family, and you never do anything, well, I can say I love you, but that's not really love because love does not boast. If I say I love you, but I won't admit when I'm wrong because of my own pride, well, I can say I love you till I'm blue in the face. But that's not love because love is not proud. It's just a good question to ask. Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I envious? Am I boastful? Am I proud? Paul's got more to say. The next verse he says, love, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And oh man, I love this one. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not dishonor them. Do I dishonor my spouse by telling coworkers about why I'm angry with them or something that would embarrass them? Let, let, me, let me say a word here. It, it will break your spouse's heart. It will dishonor them so much if they find out you have been complaining and talking to your coworkers, your friends about them. And if you are having, if you are having problems in the bedroom, that is why the Lord gifted people to go be counselors. And I so encourage you to go see a counselor, find a Christian counselor, we'll help you find one. Because you need to talk out those problems, but you don't talk to coworkers, you don't talk to friends. So will dishonor them. And every time you, and when you have a fight, you don't call mama. Who do you, whose side do you think she's going to take? She's going to take her baby's side. And every time you walk into mama's house for Thanksgiving or Christmas, your, your spouse steps into dishonor. Don't dishonor them. It, it is not so, am I dishonoring? 
It is not self-seeking. Am I self-seeking? Am I self-seeking when it comes to money? Am I self-seeking in the bedroom? Am I self-seeking with my family, with hobbies, with my time, with helping around the house? Am I self-seeking? It's a good question to ask. Am I easily angered? Why? Why do, I, why do, why do you have such a short temper? What's underneath that? And this is a big one. It keeps no record of wrongs. Do I keep a record of wrongs? When we have arguments, do I bring up something that they did last week, last month, last year, last decade? You ever been in an argument like that? And somebody says, well, you remember when? And you're like, that was in the 90s? That was in the 2000s? Single folks, listen, if you are dating someone who who can't forgive a friend or roommate because of one thing, that one thing that they did, and I'm not talking about something abusive, I'm not talking really hurtful, I'm just talking somebody hurt their feelings, somebody wronged them. If you're dating someone who can't forgive a friend or a roommate because of something they did, wait till they live with you and you do like one thing a week. Run from a boyfriend or girlfriend who cannot learn to forgive people. Because I want to tell you what marriage is. is a good definition of marriage. Marriage is forgiving another person every day for the rest of your life. Because you are never going to wake up on a day that you didn't marry a sinner. Right? Now hopefully they're being made holy, made into the image of Christ, being sanctified, purified. Like we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us. But they're never going to get it quite right. They're going to die a sinner, right? Saved by God's grace. Marriage is forgiving another person every single day of your life. They're going to make mistakes. They are going to need forgiving, and you are going to need forgiving. Learn to forgive early. Marriage does not keep a record of wrongs so you can land a zinger in an argument. That's not love. Love keeps zero record of wrongs. And then, listen to what Paul says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Now, when we say this word evil, I think uh, one translation, I think the King James Version says iniquities. It's a fun church word, right? Iniquities. You didn't use that word this week. We think of wickedness. The word uh, in the Greek that Paul uses, adikia, and it means injustice and unrighteousness of the heart. Love doesn't delight in injustice when it's done to others because the truth of God's righteousness that we delight in is selfless and generous and a sacrificial kind of love. That's why many of us who have a heart for humanity, who have a heart for our neighbors, our heart cries when we see injustice in the world. And we've been reminded this week we keep seeing it. Keep seeing it. That's why. Because we don't delight in that. Because if we are people of faith, we have this love in us. But it is, it's easy to put that, those, that, those glasses on to just everything that's going on outside of the world. And there are, there are atrocities that are unjust happening all across our world and even in our own country. But boy, it's so much harder to put that on ourselves. Right? What does it mean that love doesn't delight in things unjust? Right? Is it okay if you win the argument even if it's unjust to your spouse? See, we don't delight in that. We don't delight in getting our way if it is unjust to the person that we say we love. 
So it's okay. Paul's kind of been on this negative rant, right? Love is not this, it's not this, and not that. And then he goes to a positive. Okay? He turns positive. And he says, love, let me tell you what it is, though. He goes back. It starts off good. Patient kindness. Love always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. So you should ask yourself, I should ask myself, am I protecting? Do I protect their heart? Do I trust them? Do I trust them with my deepest thoughts? Or do I keep things closed in and not tell them what I'm really thinking? Do I trust them with money? Or do I keep a separate account just in case things don't work out? I'll tell people, couples that I'm married, listen, the Bible doesn't tell you what to do with your checking account, but it does say love always trusts. Is it hopeful? Does it persevere? When it gets hard, does it keep going and going and going? And then Paul ends it, and you're like, and he ends it with this beautiful love, and this was the little game. Y'all got this, love never fails. And some of you are like, now hold on a second. I've seen love fail, right? I went to a middle school dance. Seen love fail. And some of you, it wasn't just puppy love that failed. It was what you thought was real love. You've seen love fail. And of course we see love fail because we see imperfect reflections of this kind of love. But what Paul is saying is that is that it is this kind of love that never fails. It is this kind of sacrificial, life-giving love that never fails. And this is the big thing that, that we need to think about when we are not winning at love, when we feel like we're kind of struggling at love, and we in ourselves go, I just need to work on loving better, loving harder, loving more. And Paul says, you don't need to think about that. You need to ask yourself, not Am I loving good enough? Am I loving strong enough? You need to ask yourself, it's, you're probably not winning at love because you need to ask yourself, am I being patient? Am I, am I trusting them? Am I persevering to work at this? Am I being kind? Am I being self-seeking? Because the problem is when we put love as just a phrase, as just a feeling, as just an emotion of something we do, this kind of woo-woo thing out there, it's not what real love is. Love is hard work, love is practice, and it is more than a phrase. And here's what we learn from this passage. If you say love and don't show love, you don't know love. If you say I love you, but you don't show kindness, you don't really know what love is. If you say, I love you, but you are impatient with your spouse, you don't know what love is. If you say, I love you, but you are self-seeking, you don't know what love is. If you say, I love you, but I don't show that I trust them, then I don't know what love is. If you say love and don't show love, well, that's not exactly the kind of love. And can I just say something to my single friends and college friends and high school? Red flags in dating if you are seeing the opposite of these. If you are seeing someone who is prideful and won't admit when they're wrong, who dishonors others, who is selfish, who is easily angered when they don't get their way, who doesn't trust people, who is pessimistic and doesn't see things through, listen, if you see signs of those, red flags, red alarms should go off. It is not going to get better. Like marriage, let me marry them and that'll fix it. No, you just put another 100 pounds on the bar. 
It's just only going to get harder. You're going to see it more because life is going to get harder and more stressful. And if I were single, and listen, here's what I would just say to you, and I just love our single folks, and we've got so many more coming uh, to Mountaintop these days. I would concentrate on being this kind of person. There's so many things in dating you can't control, right? You can't control who you meet, when you meet them, how you meet them. You can't control what other people's feelings and emotions. But you, you get 100% control over saying, I'm going to grow in my faith, in my relationship with Jesus, to be an example of a love that is patient, kind, that is not self-seeking, that is trusting, that is hopeful, that is perseverance. And I want to tell you something. If you will do that, I just believe that the right kind of person, the right kind of person will be the kind of person that falls for you. Because I want to tell you, that love is hard to find. That kind of person is hard to find. We can't win at love if these things are absent. And there's only one place to learn this kind of love. You can't be good at love without knowing the one who is love. That's why I said at the beginning, we need to know God to know how to love. People who love best, who love with patience and kindness, who are hopeful and persevering, people who stick with it and are self-sacrificing instead of self-seeking are people who have come face-to-face -face with this kind of love. That's why I say that marriage is a picture Marriage is a picture of our relationship with Jesus. It is a picture of our relationship with our Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians 13 is a picture of the gospel. God was so patient with us and so kind that he sent his son Jesus, who did not boast about his throne in heaven, his kingdom in heaven, but humbled himself and took on a cross. He honored us and elevated us above himself. And instead of getting angry for all of our sin, which he totally could have done because he is totally perfect and totally righteous, instead of keeping a record of wrongs that he did for us, instead of delighting in how much evil we had done and in our wickedness, he took the judgment reserved for us and took the justice that we deserved for our sin. And he trusts us with a choice, hoping that we'll love him back and pursuing us with an extravagant love that always perseveres and never, ever fails. 1 Corinthians 13 isn't just about marriage and love and relationships. It's the gospel story. And I want to tell you something. The reason I want you this for you if you're not a follower of Jesus in your marriage is because we need to know that kind of love in order to love others best. Marriage is trying to love one person on planet earth like that for the rest of your life. I mean, just like try to love one person. Because on about day two of your marriage, you'll figure out how difficult it is. That you're going to be hot <laughs> for the rest of your life. And I just want to tell you, I'm a whole lot harder to love than Emily is. And you'll, you'll be thankful at how much God has loved you when you try to love another human like that. How he has sacrificed for you when you try to sacrifice for another. So I want to ask you to do something today, not to just recommit your life to the one person that you love. I want to ask you to recommit your life to the one and only author of love. Because if you want to win at love, the best way is to learn from the one who has already won at it.
So I want to ask you to pray, and uh, I want you to do a couple things. If you're married, you're dating, engaged, I, I want to ask you to just hold hands with one hand and have an open hand with the other. If you're single, I would love for you to just have both hands open. And I want you to just pray with me and just, just ask yourself, just ask the Lord to just to receive this. Heavenly Father, we want to receive love from you. We want to experience this. You have already wanted love. You have already shown us what love looks like in Jesus. You were so patient with us. You are so kind. Lord, thank you that you didn't keep a record of our wrongs. It would fill a giant file cabinet. Thank you that you have wiped the slate clean. Thank you that you persevere and that your love never fails even when ours does. God, we just recommit to even getting to know that love a little bit. We can't even fathom it completely. We can't even comprehend it. We just recommit ourselves to that. And Lord, for those of us that are married and we're holding a hand in the other hand, Lord, we would pray that we would take what we have received, we would take what we have received, and it would just transfer to that hand that we're holding. And that we would love them with the kind of 1 Corinthians 13 love that we found in you. And for those of us that are single, Lord, that so desire to have a hand to hold, that so desire to transform that love, Lord, Lord, would you just hear the desires of those hearts? And would you help my single friends, my brothers and sisters, Lord, to just receive a fresh fresh encounter with the love of God in Jesus that is patient and kind, is not self-seeking. And Lord, would you be preparing them through their relationship with you for the future relationship you have planned for them? Lord, my prayer is that this season would be a season that they are becoming who you've created them to be in a love relationship with you so that they can be who you've called them to be as a husband or wife in a love relationship with another. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.